0: Hello, and welcome to the Law Deals Podcast, where we discuss law firm succession plans, profitable law partnerships, and law firm purchases and sales. I'm your host, Ed Alexander. I've practiced transactional business law for 30 years, I have my own practice, Alexander Business Law, and I'm a principal with Fitzgibbon Alexander, a business intermediary firm. We're on a mission to make sales of law firms commonplace so you can enjoy your practice and your life. Hello, and welcome to the Law Deals Podcast. In this episode, we're talking about the four, and only four, ways that you can exit your law practice, how each of these ways works, and the benefits and drawbacks of each. Okay, so there are four ways to sell or transfer a practice. Die at your desk, which I guess technically isn't a sale or a transfer. Liquidate, internal sale, or external sale. Each of these has its benefits and drawbacks. Yes, even dying at your desk has benefits. So I'm going to describe them, how they work, and then talk through the pros and cons. So, of course, dying at your desk means that you work until you can no longer work anymore. And oftentimes that's when you die, but sometimes it might actually be you become disabled or otherwise unable to work. So the beauty of the die-at-your-desk plan is, look, It's the easiest plan because no plan is required. You're basically leaving a mess for someone else. And, you know, you just have to make sure that you've got others who are capable to basically end the practice for you because you're practicing until the time when you cannot practice any longer. The downside to this, of course, is that you don't get any value from your firm. All you're getting is the cash flow out of the receivables. Plus, it's really, you know, one of those things where you're leaving a mess for someone else. And so, winding up the lease, uh, dealing with client matters that aren't uh, fulfilled, um, all of the things that go into closing down a practice. And so, obviously, this is, for that person, a less desirable alternative. The other problem that comes with this is disability, because... A lot of times when lawyers are working until they die, they're not making any plans for a time when they won't have any income. And so if there is a disability, then, of course, the income would go away, and so that reliance could be a big problem. The next way to exit your law practice is to liquidate. And so essentially, this is closing up shop and leaving the key with the landlord, Um, and so... You know, this might be the only option that a lawyer has because not every law firm is saleable. And so uh, doing this does require really some key timing because you've got employees that have to get paid. You've got to fulfill your professional responsibility to clients. And you've got leases and other uh, contractual obligations that have to be satisfied, so, that timing of the expenses, the timing of the termination is uh, really important here. Now, if you recall in last episode, I talked about the couple who were thinking about closing down a going concern business that they had. So, not a law firm, just a going concern business. And my partner in the business brokerage was able to get them a buyer. So, they were able to get, uh, you know, six figures for their business. And so when we talk about this, we kind of talk about why all of a sudden did they decide this? It was because their lease was coming up, and it was convenient for them to basically say to the landlord, we're going to exit because it's the end of the lease, and and they were timing it through that. So if you're looking at liquidating, uh, then timing that lease termination is going to be key and making sure that you are there until you don't want to work anymore. Same thing with the team. You know, the team, obviously, they're looking out for their interests, which they should, and they are. And so if they see that the firm is going to end, they're going to go out starting to, and start to look for jobs. And so, you know, the key is to make them stay until the end, and you may have to pay them a bonus or do something along those lines. But again, like dying at your desk, there's no value from your firm all you're doing is selling off the tangible assets. You're just selling the desks and the computers, and we all know that they have very little or no value. All of the goodwill that you've developed in your practice essentially goes away. It's lost, and and there's no way for you to recover it. And so, of course, dying at your desk and liquidation from a business standpoint are the least desired options that you want. So, The most desired options are the two sale-related options. That would be the internal sale and the external sale. So, of course, an internal sale is a sale to someone within your firm, whether that be an associate or a partner. Now, if you have a partner, you should absolutely positively have a partnership agreement so that there is a method to uh, complete a sale on retirement. To deal with the liabilities and to address concerns, you know, you don't want to set it up so that there's a race to retirement. So one partner is left holding the bag. An internal sale typically means that you're selling the stock of your law firm or the membership interest of your law firm. So basically, the ownership interest that you have in your law firm and you're transferring it to your associate or to your partner. And then this can really be accomplished in a one, two, or three steps, or actually more than that, but typically one, two, or three steps is, is most common. And it's done over a number of years. So if you're selling to an associate, you know, you're going to have an initial buy-in. And that buy-in is going to be something like 10 to 15, you know, 5, 10, 15%. Um, most of the time, associates don't have any cash to put into the deal. And so that's often going to be a no-money-down transaction where payments are made under a note. And that note would be either to you or to the law firm, depending on who's issuing the stock. And and, uh, when it's part of an exit strategy, usually the owner of the firm is selling the stock to the associate. And those payments are often contingent upon the law firm uh, providing Distributions of profits and things of that nature, or maybe extraordinary bonuses, that type of thing. So, typically, it's that one first step in. You do it in multiple steps because it's kind of a test the waters approach. We want to be sure that the associate, when buying in, uh, has the wherewithal to be a partner, has the capability to learn how to operate the business, and is interested in actually getting business. And being an owner of the firm. Now, that second step can either be really two things. It can either be bringing that partnership, that that now associate, now partner, up to a level of just below one half of the ownership, or it can just be the final buyout. And so it could be a buyout when the owner, the original owner, Uh, dies, becomes disabled, or ultimately retires. And typically, we want to see a number of years between at least the first step, but certainly to the point where the associate is generating business and uh, known to the referral sources. So part of the goodwill of the current owner is transferred over to the associate. And then the associate is you know capable of operating the business now under the current SBA guidelines this second transaction can often be a finance transaction so whereas in the first step the owner financed it through a no money down note the in the second step that's typically financed or can be financed through a loan arrangement so doing it this way has certain advantages. The key here, though, is obviously you've got to introduce this transaction properly. I found that associates don't necessarily understand that the business, the, the law firm itself, will pay for itself. And so that they're not really coming out of pocket. The money, the distributions, the profits out of the firm are going to the associate. And I describe this fully in the guide to selling your Florida law practice. So if you want any more details in there, just go to exitmylawpractice.com and you'll be able to download that book and it, you have a little bit more detail in there. The fourth and final way is the external sale. So this would be a sale to an outside attorney or the merger with another firm. Now, this typically requires some time because... The attorney with the firm, the selling attorney, you, uh, have goodwill with your clients and with your referral sources. And that goodwill has to transfer over to the buyer. And so it takes time to do that because the buyer... Or the merging firm needs to be involved with those referral sources and with those clients. And there's some time hand holding and making the transfer and confirming that the buyer is a good guy or gal and knows what they're doing and you've teamed up with them and making it work. So there's a whole component of this of working with the existing clients and the existing referral sources to make sure that the goodwill that you have with them is ultimately goodwill that the buyer receives. Now, this is why this particular component of the attorney's personal goodwill is why a lot of attorneys like the internal sale transaction and less so like the external sale transaction. But I wanna assure you that making that transfer is something that absolutely positively can happen. Now, with an external sale, we have to package the law firm, right? So we need financial statements and tax returns. These have to be, uh, you know, CPA reviewed or CPA prepared, certainly the tax returns, but the financial statements should also be uh, reviewed by the CPA. If nothing else, just to put them in good form so that when a buyer comes along and they look at them, they say, okay, these have been maintained in an appropriate manner. We also want to package the marketing systems that you have in place. Are you doing a newsletter? Uh, do you have a list of your referral sources? Are you following up with referral sources on a regular basis? You know, those those things are critical, Uh because we don't want to just show up with referral sources in particular. We just don't want to show up when the sale is happening and say, oh, by the way, we're having a sale and I you know, want to introduce you to the buyer. That relationship has to be strong in order for that transition of goodwill to happen. And then, of course, the in-place team is absolutely crucial, right? So we don't want to have a situation where the buyer is coming in and expecting to have to hire a bunch of team members and then obviously train them up. That is going to impact the value of your practice. If your only person is, you know, Sally, who's your assistant, and Sally is going to retire at the same time you retire, then you don't have an in-place team, and that's something that you want to work on right away. And then once we have the external sale, we obviously have to market the firm. And so there's a process for identifying, hey, here are some good targets we can go after, uh, firms that may be interested in acquiring, and then, of course, advertising. So, you know, the beauty of the internal sale is really it's relatively easy because the buyer is known to the clients, the buyer is known to you, and the buyer is known to the team. Plus, the buyer knows the practice. So, there is that existing warm relationship that's there, and it can uh, really work through a very long transition period. The real problem for you as the seller, though, is that there's only one buyer. And so, if you wait too long to sit down and have that conversation, the buyer is likely to be in the driver's seat. And so, When you look at that, you want to make sure that time is on your side. We're going to go into this in a whole separate episode. But this means really getting this going much, much earlier than you would normally want in terms of an external sale. The next one is, because the internal buyer usually doesn't have any cash, uh, then we have to figure a way to get the commitment. Usually, we look for commitment through skin in the game. And skin in the game, typically in the business context, means money and cash. Um, And unfortunately, we don't have that with the internal buyer. So we need to make sure that there is commitment there. Now, of course, we're going to have a partnership, you know, shareholders, operating agreement, whatever, but I call them partnerships in a generic sense. And we're going to have a partnership agreement that is going to protect the transaction, protect the firm and protect the seller because... Uh, What if it does go wrong? How do we get out of it? We're going to make that really super easy. The beauty of an external sale is that you're going to maximize the price and get the best terms possible because marketing properly should bring in some interest. I'm, of course, assuming that the firm is saleable in this conversation here. Likely to get more cash in the deal. You'll get a buyer down payment and if they go out and get bank financing, you'll get that piece. Although sometimes you can see Uh, there being a contingent component. So the firm having to achieve certain revenues in the future and those revenues um, uh, impacting the purchase price. And then the buyer, because it's, it's kind of odd, but because the buyer hasn't been in your practice for an extended period of time, if you do have those value drivers, systems, marketing, team in place, they're more likely to value those things than an internal buyer who lives with it every day. Now, there are cons with the external sell, of course. Biggest one is there's a limited pool of buyers, right? Uh, Under the ethical rules, you can only get a buyer who is competent to basically operate your practice, right? Unless you're willing to sit there and train somebody, and most sellers are not you've got to have somebody who is competent in your practice area. And of course, they have to be licensed in the state. And, you know, oftentimes we'll get calls from uh, lawyers in, you know, New York or some other Northern state looking to move down and looking to buy a practice and they're not yet licensed. And as you know, you know, it takes quite some time in Florida to get licensed uh, because of the background checks and all of those things. So, um, You really do have a limited pool of buyers, and uh, that can really impact the ability to market. It takes time to find that buyer. It's going to take a lot more time, obviously, than finding the internal buyer because that internal buyer is right there. Um, And then it typically, the buyer is going to put more risk on you, the seller. And I mentioned before an earn out, or maybe there's even a clawback where, you know, if the If if certain clients aren't at the levels that they were of the year or two before, that the purchase price will be reduced. So there's an escrow holdback, and and then ultimately the purchase price is, is reduced. That sometimes occurs. And... Frankly, external sales may not be effective for a highly specialized firm. One of the future episodes we're going to talk about is the three types of law firms. And so this would be what I'm going to call your brain surgery firm. So this is a firm that really has a highly specialized practice area. And uh, as a result, you're not going to have a lot of people who are competent and who who are capable of doing it. The other side of this is a firm that is geographically isolated. So if your firm is in, you know, some little rinky-dink town, finding an attorney who wants to move to that town may not be as easy and so you've you've even further narrowed the pool of potential buyers. Well, that's it. Those are the four types of ways to exit your practice. Uh, We talked about how uh, each works and then the benefits and drawbacks of each. If you have any questions about this, drop me a note. I'm happy to talk this over. And of course, please subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks so much.